As Jeff has pointed out, I can't pardon you now. It would look too suspicious. Yeah, so we concocted an ingenious solution, Mr. Manafort. Oh, no. I dropped my loofah. Oh, don't worry. My trusty little tail's gonna get him. <laughs> now, as I was saying, we have an ingenious solution. Here's the plan, Paul. I can't pardon you now. But we're gonna wait a few weeks and then dress you up like a turkey, and then we'll pardon you. It's a foolproof plan. Though there is a small chance that I'll screw that up too, and my family will end up eating you for Thanksgiving. So hang in there, Paul. And live from New York, it's Saturday night! It's Saturday Night Live! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 43, Episode 4 of SNL with host Larry David and musical guest Miley Cyrus. I'm John Murray, and with me as often is comedy aficionado and recovering straw addict Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Larry David. Let's talk November lineup. We are getting Tiffany Haddish of The Carmichael Show on November 11th and her musical guest, Taylor Swift. And November 18th, Chance the Rapper, first-time host, a longtime friend of the show, though, and he's going to be supported by Eminem. Yeah, I'm loving the lineup. You know, I've heard good things about Tiffany, Mm -hmm. although I am not familiar with her work to very much of an extent at all. I'll be honest. Sure. And um, Chance the Rapper sounds like a really good fit. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen him be a good sport before when he's uh, been the musical guest. So it seems natural that they'd want to let him step up and give it a shot. Uh, Yeah. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I have really high hopes for his episode. Uh, Tiffany Haddish, there was talk at one point that maybe she was in the mix for maybe being on the show, but uh, her path went in a different direction. But nonetheless, she's proven herself as a comedic force. And so that's one of the the shows where we should be looking for really strong presentation of the material, like someone with comedic timing with just a comedic sensibility that can really sell what the writers are coming up with. Yeah. That's what I'm hopeful for from her show. Whereas chance that's probably just going to be fun, you know, fun, lighthearted, just a feel good show. Yeah. Now David S pumpkins, our animated special has come and gone. Did you have a chance to watch it? Yes, I did. I enjoyed it. Yeah. No, I really liked it. I thought it was up to par with my, you know, my standard. All right. So what was your 30 second, like hot take? What, what was the David S pumpkin special in hindsight? Cause we had our theories. Like, was this going to be just some sort of cavalcade of bizarre characters without, you know, much plot? Was it going to harken back to like the traditional holiday animated special? What did we get from our David S pumpkin special? We got like sort of an expansion of the David S. Pumpkins universe. <laughs> sure, yes. And yeah, they've kind of embellished on the character, but in traditional David S. Pumpkins fashion, we know even less about him <laughs> from learning more about him. Yeah, we got a whole song to just drive that point into the ground. <laughs> yeah, and this whole uh, Halloween special, they translated what he was all about really well to a cartoon. So as kind of like a fun inside joke for SNL viewers, 
it's clever to see David S. Pumpkins in animated form. And like you said, sort of expand on the lore and the, the gimmick that we already understand, which is he's an enigma wrapped in a riddle, you know, wrapped in a puzzle, wrapped in a pumpkin, but he's his own thing. Really? Yeah. He's, he's his own thing, man. Now, (laughs) if we're going to step back and just look at it as like children's entertainment fair, like if this was just the 7 PM, October 30th primetime animated special, uh, for kids, what do you think some kid just kind of looking at this fresh is going to take away? Is this going to be fun for them? Or is it really just a bizarre inside joke that never should have been created? Oh, no. I think kids could enjoy this for sure. Okay. They aren't getting the same things that we're getting, you know, as adults. The stuff that needs to go over their heads. <laughs> sure. It's going over their heads. Yeah. It's a really sweet story and the animation style and, you know, the rhyme scheme they use. It's all very palatable. Right. So yeah, I I could see a a child totally eating this up and David S. Pumpkins blown up with a whole other demographic. Yeah, we may see another Halloween yet of mini David S. Pumpkins and maybe a few Kevin Roberts (laughs) floating around. Did you catch the Kevin Roberts cameo? I did. I did. It was very quick, but that's a pretty cool kid who chose to go as (laughs) Kevin Roberts for Halloween. Yeah. You know, that's pretty obscure reference for uh, for an eight-year-old. Yeah. Uh, can a bitch get a Mars bar? (laughs) (laughs) So before we, uh, put David S pumpkins behind us for another year, let's just give it like our, our formal critique, our formal rating here on a scale of classic, great, decent week or train wreck. What do we think of the David S pumpkin special? I think it's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was great. (laughs) Okay. It made me laugh and you know, it had some clever stuff. Sure. Throwing the raisins onto the moon was, that was a hoot. A very quick thing, like, but if I were to give a moment of the night for this, that would probably be it. Okay. And, you know, it was nice to see Bobby, despite not being clean shaven anymore. (laughs) Sure. And I was such a fan of David S. Pumpkins from the beginning. So, you know, I was just so receptive to the idea that I ended up loving it. All right. You are all in on David Pumpkins. All in. Fair enough. I'm giving it a solid decent. I think it was a smart subversion of those traditional holiday cartoons. There was enough tropes that they kind of flipped on their head that every few minutes I'm like, yeah, that's clever. I see what they're going for there. There was enough of those moments that it carried me along. I feel like it could have been great. I feel like maybe given a few more months to really just jam pack it with as many tropes and as many send ups of the cliches of those specials. If, if they'd had a few more passes on it, I think it really, really could have sparkled, but I think what we got was pretty serviceable and fun. Like at the end of it, I was grinning and saying, yep, that was worth watching. Probably not going to watch it again anytime soon, but it it was fun. I, I, I was amused. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it had such moments like the pumpkin mobile. (laughs) You can't drive a pumpkin, man. (laughs) you can't drive a pump and just seeing that visual of them driving a strawberry had me on the floor (laughs) there was a lot of good stuff there there really was i think it just could have been a little bit more and that's not a a knock at mikey or streeter at all i think i think it's amazing that this thing got produced at all that someone had the balls to walk into lauren's office and say you know that little throwaway sketch that you weren't even 100 percent sure we should move forward with um, can you give us half an hour <laughs> of network time to do an animated special? Like that's, <laughs> that's just, that just doesn't happen period. So this even existing is just charming and fun. 
And the fact that it wasn't a miss, like it didn't leave me going, oh man, they should have just left well enough alone with David S. Pumpkins. Like this killed him. Like the fact that I walked away saying, yep, fun outing. That was amusing. That I think that's probably as as good as we really should have been able to to hope for. And yeah, we got it. So yeah, win. (laughs) Win indeed. Okay. It's a lot on David S. Pumpkins. But before we move on, I'm just going to tell people if they want the inside scoop on kind of how the original David S. Pumpkins sketch evolved throughout that week of development when Tom Hanks was there last season. There's a really good oral history that has contributions from Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel and Bobby Moynihan and a few others. Um, I think it ran in variety. I'm not hundred percent sure on that. I forgot to put in the show notes, but it's out there and it's easy enough to find. And if anyone reads that article, it feels like you're reading a high energy Aaron Sorkin esque drama where it's like you're against the clock and everyone's just like racing to the next meeting, trying to get the draft done up all night, just pushing to try and crack David pumpkins for an SNL nerd. Like me, it was really exhilarating to be able to walk through that week and hear it firsthand from those guys. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you're into SNL, check that out because not only does it paint a good picture of just how the production can work on a week to week basis, it really just fills in a lot of gaps of a very special moment in SNL that I don't think a lot of people really understood when they first saw it, just what went into that and just how much effort and just continuing to run at it and trying to fine tune it and just trying to crack it right up until the minute that they went live. Yeah. That article really paints a a fun picture of that. So people should check that out. Yeah, I should too. I haven't (laughs) caught that yet. (laughs) Yeah. Well worth the read. Go check it out. And with that said, let's jump into the episode proper. Sounds good. Cold open. Trump checks up on Paul Manafort during his house arrest. I really like this one. Okay. It broke the monotony that you can get in a lot of sketches like this that are political. They can be kind of visually dulled at times. So changing location was uh, a really good way to keep it uh, engaging, I thought. Yep. I had a very similar feeling. I really enjoyed the cutbacks to the airplane with Melania and uh, Otto from Airplane. A little inside joke for anyone who's older than 20. Uh, did you catch that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like they just got that prop right out of storage and blew it back up. When Melania starts to be won over by his silence and begins to fall back in love with Donald, I thought they were going to go all the way and recreate the inflating auto scene from airplane. And I thought that we were going to actually get a very potentially controversial moment with Melania Trump on SNL. And there's a part of me that wishes that they'd actually maybe like, played around with that concept and got a little, little naughtier with it than they did. But what we got was still a lot of fun with that. So that, that was the first thing that made me perk up and say, this feels like it's a little bit of a cut above the last two, which I really did not think were fantastic outings. So this, uh, this definitely was a little cut above for me, but if I'm going to be honest, I still felt like it was uh, a pretty rough ride. Um, end to end, there was just a lot that wasn't working for me. And I think Personally, it just for me is coming down to feeling like they really maybe should have exited Trump at the end of last season, like let him go out on a high note, get his Emmys and just leave him wanting more. I'm feeling like the more we see him, the less special it's getting. And I don't feel like even if they have a few of these little inspired moments in the cold open, that the version of Trump that they have right now is just enough to carry it. So uh, I'm not going to say it was a win for me, but this one had more amusing moments than the other two. That's, that's my feeling anyways. You know, I thought a couple of things were working. Mm -hmm. I really liked Alex's uh, Manafort. I thought that was a pretty good impression. Sure. Yeah. Cause you don't hear a lot from the guy. So like, this guy obviously did like 
an extended amount of research to do the voice that he was doing and all that. Yep. And yeah, it was nice to see Kate do Jeff Sessions again. It just feels like a, a betrayal almost to make her Sessions character just so damn cute and lovable. <laughs> sure. Even when he's saying he's like an evil dude, like <laughs> his own words, like he says it so adorably. Right. You can't help but like freaking Jeff Sessions and it feels weird. But that's just because Kate's so talented. Right. They needed something fun to do with that character. And yeah, making her a mischievous little mouse is, is their angle on it. And <laughs> I, I, I feel like that's one of the elements that works better than some things. I'll never fault SNL for the quality of the impressions or any of the production aspects of it. It was all top notch here. Like everything from the sets to the makeup, the characters, all the players came to really bring their best to it. So I don't fault that. I just feel like Trump right now, like real Trump news is so unfunny that they're trying to pull in inherently unfunny ideas. And even if they're trying to turn them a little bit and make them funny, it's still just reminding you of some very sad and controversial and awkward things to focus on and try and feel happy and fun about. So it's just, it's not funny anymore. Trump, Trump just isn't funny (laughs) and there's nothing Alec Baldwin can do about it. Tony Bennett. I can get behind as Tony Bennett. I just, I can't laugh at Trump right now. They should just have Tony Bennett be the proxy president for for the rest of the season and just have whatever Trump did that week be done by, uh, (laughs) by Tony Bennett instead. I would probably laugh more at that as ridiculous as that would be (laughs) anything now that just isn't so abrasive and upsetting, I think would feel better. And it just, it's, it's just a downer. It's not the show's fault. It's just Trump's a downer. I can't figure out a better way to peg it. Yeah. I don't know. They don't have to do political cold opens. Uh, I'd love to see something just completely bizarre. They didn't always used to do political cold opens. It was just whatever was fun in the news or just something topical and uh, maybe just get away from Trump for a bit. Yeah. But I think we've harped plenty on the cold open. Let's talk about the monologue. Larry David offers his musings on Quasimodo, Weinstein and concentration camps. The whole Quasimodo bit. I felt like he's just writing a Seinfeld episode. (laughs) Sure. Like it was a really funny concept and it was, it was just so very Larry David. Now I'm starting to feel bad because I'm going to take a a big old dump on it here. And I feel like maybe I'm being too harsh. If if you found something good in it, I really wasn't getting into it. I felt it was kind of disjointed. I felt like he kind of felt like it wasn't landing. Like he, he was a little self-deprecating at a few moments where he almost kind of critiqued himself on stage. Like, yeah, I think this is landing. Okay. I think I'm doing okay. Like I felt like he knew that it was misfiring a little bit in the house and I was feeling some of that. And I, I personally didn't think it was that great a material. Yeah. I mean, I've never found Larry David's material to be all that strong on paper mm-hmm. as much as it's just that he does a bit. He does a character. Yeah. He's doing cranky old Larry David curmudgeon, you know, everything's the worst. Yeah. Larry David just does Larry David. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what sells his observations or whatever. It's just a really funny bit. But yeah, like the delivery of the predators being Jews joke. I thought that was just stretched out perfectly. And the way that he just kind of cringed at that last <laughs> word when he says Jews. Yeah. That was probably my favorite part of the monologue. I thought that was really strong. I felt his energy was good. And like you said, there were some presentation elements there where he did hit the jokes well. Just. To me, I didn't feel like the material itself was really that funny at its core. So as much as he was trying to sell it and his energy was good and the presentation was all there, I just, 
I just wasn't really connecting with the material period. Like when he hunches over and gets into Quasimodo mode, that was just a little awkward to watch. And it's kind of a, kind of a dumb joke. You know, Quasimodo is looking for a girl with big jugs. Like it just, it, it's just, it's not the smartest, the stuff about the concentration camp. Uh, I feel like if he'd played around with that a little more and, and tightened it up, there was probably some good stuff in there. It just, this didn't feel like really solid, tight material from him. To me, that just sounds like Larry. Like he doesn't even bother to write dialogue for his show. Sure. He's kind of a slop show. Yeah. You know, with his delivery of things. And I guess you prefer to see it within the context of what he does on Curb. Yeah. Sometimes a little bit of editing can help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which he doesn't have the luxury of on a live show, obviously. Right. Yeah. So uh, no point digging any deeper on that. For me, it had amusing moments, but again, I didn't feel like the cold open or the monologue really felt like a win. And so I'm now very apprehensive getting into the live material. So let's talk about our first live sketch and see if that starts to build some steam here. We get the price is right. Celebrity edition, which includes our obligatory appearance of Larry David's Bernie Sanders. You have to expect to see Bernie Sanders. I was expecting it. They're not going to, uh, have Larry David on and not cover that at least for a little bit. Right. I don't mind it. You know, it's not like Bernie Sanders is all that relevant right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's merely just a callback to what Larry has done on the show basically, but I'm just happy to see a fresh new live vehicle for impressions. Mm-hmm. That's not family feud. Yep. And yeah, I think this price is right. Format is a really good way to go for sure. Yeah, that was my first note. Uh, Family Feud replacement. (laughs) That's exactly what it felt like. It felt like this is an opportunity to just run down the line and give everyone 10 seconds to land a joke and move on. I wasn't super warm on it for that reason. It didn't feel inspired. It felt like this is something that Celebrity Jeopardy has done a lot better in the past. Even though a lot of the impressions were fun, there wasn't a, a whole lot conceptually that I was finding fun. The one thing that had me perk up that I thought, oh, okay, here's where it's going to really take off is when they finally get to Bernie Sanders and he starts railing against consumerism and whatnot. (laughs) I was thinking, okay, this is brilliant. They've got Bernie Sanders who is 180 degrees opposed to the price is right ideologically because he's so frugal and just, you get the sense that he's the kind of person that just knows what things are worth. Like he's going to be an unstoppable player on the show. Like there's nothing he can do to not win at a show that he doesn't want to win. I thought it was going to be another one of those little kind of like flip it on its head moments. And I thought that was going to be a really fun place to take the Bernie character where he's getting flummoxed because he's just dominating at prices. Right. And he just doesn't want any of the prizes. He doesn't want the glory. He doesn't want any of it. He just wants to shush it away. And it's just all being piled on him. I thought that could have been a lot of fun and they just sort of like barely hinted at it and then just moved on to more impressions and just didn't really go anywhere great with it. And so again, maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I just wasn't feeling it last night. Who knows? Maybe I was tired, but, (laughs) but again, like third time in a row, I'm just scratching my head going this, this just isn't feeling great tonight so far. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm the worst. Yeah. I'm questioning the mood you were in when you watch this. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Cause that does happen, right? We get tired 
or whatever Saturday night. So that's why we always make sure we do a rewatch on Sunday so that we're a little more clear headed and can try and look at it objectively. And I got to say, I went through the show a couple times this afternoon when I was doing my notes and uh, I still wasn't finding anything fantastic about it. Like it was more amusing. I really started to connect with the Tony Bennett stuff in it. Like that was fun. The, the uh, whatever the, the constipation or emodium mads or whatever he was doing. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, but it was still pretty thin for the amount of time that this got in the show. And the fact that they had it right up front, I just didn't feel like uh, I didn't feel like it was home run. Well, if they have to keep doing these types of sketches, I'd rather this than family feud. Sure. No, like, yeah, as a vehicle for impressions, it's as good as any. And I'll always have the same critique for celebrity family feud too, which is, it's not inspired. It is merely a vehicle for impressions. Yeah. And the big thing that really just kind of weighed this down for me was I thought that because Bernie was going to show up that they had something clever for Bernie to do when that didn't happen. I just was a little, little deflated, but at this point I am thoroughly convinced that I'm just uh, a Debbie downer and uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try and be a little bit more objective because it's, it's obvious that there's a little bit more to this show than I'm, I'm giving it credit <laughs> at this point. So. Let's take a look at our first pre-tape. Sarah Huckabee Sanders asks, what's wrong with being confident? I don't know if it worked a hundred percent. There were a few elements that I thought were grace. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you off the bat, the best part of all of this was all of the cast playing the reporters Yep, and just their reactions, the, all the facial expressions made throughout that mm-hmm. from annoyance to uh, confusion, to utter horror. They cover it all. And that was my favorite part. Yep. I'm going to give the first shout out of many to Heidi Gardner for tonight, because I feel like every moment that she popped up throughout the evening seemed to seem to just sparkle for some reason. I thought that some of just her facial expressions, her consternation and just frustration, uh, the things that she was able to emote as one of the reporters that's getting rebuffed by Sarah Huckabee, I thought she was doing good. Very Cecily-esque. Like Cecily is always good with her facial expressions and very good at being a very serious performer in these pre-tapes and really finding the right way to emote with her face. And uh, it was really cool to see Heidi keeping pace with that. So you're right that there was some strong stuff shining through there. My overall feeling of it was this was serviceable. This wasn't bad at all. This wasn't great. This isn't one for like the year end best list, but amusing if nothing else. And uh, so it, to me, this was the first glimmer of hope that maybe the show is going to pick up a little bit of steam. And now I'm starting to get interested. Okay. We've had a decent pre-tape. Now I'm feeling like I want to see what's coming next. Yeah. All right. We get another live sketch. Martin Hamill's early ad campaigns do not age very well. When this sketch was starting out, I was, for some reason, I was getting a feeling like it was, it was going to be boring or not that great. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why I laughed a little bit harder uh, than a lot of other moments of the show. Cause I wasn't expecting such shock bits from this sketch that made it so awesome for me. Okay. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. This is the one that started to turn the tide. This is the one where I said, okay, solid material, very solid live sketch. There was some brilliance in this smart observation, very true to the type of PSAs that you would get from the early nineties, the costumes on the guys in the pre-tape bits, all of that was great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just shoving that into our modern sensibility and getting the reaction of all the people at the tables. It was just really smart and well-presented. Like they found a really good way to present that idea of the PSA that's really tone deaf by today's standards and loved it, loved it. And how each one got a little bit more ridiculously offensive. Brilliant. Loved it. 
Okay. So now I know when the drugs started to kick in for you. <laughs> yeah. When the, while you were watching. Yeah. No, that's the funny thing about this show is I started out really skeptical and just really feeling like, okay, we might be in for a, another clunker episode. Cause we've, we've had a few this season that I haven't been so hot on, but this is the one that really got me jazzed. It made me realize, okay, they've got some good stuff to bring to the table. Let's keep it going. What do you got for me next? Yeah. So let's take a look at our next pre-tape. We get Larry David will not do the baby step. Can you paint a picture of this for me? Like, what do you think was the, the concept? What's the pitch for this? I could tell you why they would want to pitch in the first place is that it's so much fun to come up with terrible material on purpose. <laughs> sure. Yeah. If it services your concept, right. You know, it could be a lot of fun to just be a absolute saboteur at the keyboard and write out literally the worst <laughs> idea of a sketch you could think of. Yep. Cause that's really what the bulk of this is. And the only reason we're not completely trash talking it and wondering what the hell they were thinking is because they weaved in that small little element of Larry <laughs> David resisting the whole thing and causing it to fall apart in the end. Yeah. He puts them to shame to the point where they're all deflated and now they can't kind of get, get their mojo back. Right. Like they realize how ridiculous they are. He's, he's pulled the the veil from their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. You nailed it. That's exactly why this is hilarious. Yeah. And you know, this looks like it was shot outside. If you can imagine people walking by and noticing like <laughs> that it's SNL yeah. and they, they're watching people film the baby step and they're like, man, yeah. the show's really <laughs> gone downhill. I am not looking forward to seeing that live. Yeah, it's true. And the thing of it is it was actually so effective that it was kind of hard to watch and it was kind of hard to stay on board with the joke because I, I really, really hate the baby step. Like I loathe everything that they were doing there. So the fact that the joke is that, yes, if that's how you're feeling, you are Larry David. You can now project and live vicariously through him as he puts all these idiot millennials in their place. And when he takes them to task and he doesn't even know Chris Red's name and Keenan after 15 years still has no idea when he's going to have enough credibility at the show to not have to wear a diaper. Like <laughs> when it all comes to a head, it's so much more satisfying because it's so obnoxious for so long. I enjoyed it. This to me was another, I'm not going to say again, a great pre-tape, but serviceable. This one kept me feeling like, okay, the show's got something going on now. Let's, let's keep it rolling. Yeah, man. Totally. So how about Miley Cyrus? She performs bad mood and I would die for you. Are we loving Miley Cyrus's new persona? I like it. Okay. If that's what we're calling it, a new persona. Well, she reinvents herself every couple of years, right? Like a couple of years ago, she was twerking and she was the bad girl and trying to shed the Disney kid persona. And now it looks like she's making moves to get somewhere in the vein of adult contemporary. So, well, she's just somewhere in the middle of the two. Yeah. But it just seems like every year she's going to come out morphed a little bit more towards the, the age of her fan base as they kind of grow along with her. I'm a little cynical to that whole thing. Like I, th I think it's silly that there's such a, um, obvious path that these Disney kids take as they're turned into pop stars and then into adult stars. And it just, it seems like, okay, we we've seen the playbook so many times that I just kind of roll my eyes when I see it done again. But I have to admit that the songs themselves weren't bad and her performance wasn't bad. What did you think? Like, did you think there was anything here? As for the music itself, I particularly liked the first song. Okay. Bad mood. Yep. Just love that guitar riff, you know, felt like a, a Neil Young song almost mm -hmm. had that kind of, vibe to it i felt yep so yeah i enjoyed miley tonight okay 
I got very little to actually say about it. Nothing about it put me off. I thought her you know, her actual performance and her vocals on it was was fine. Yeah. And it's it's nice to see her sort of wearing clothes. <laughs> I'm glad she's through the other phase. You know, like we're past that. Now we can try and take ourselves a little more seriously. Like, that, that's good. I'm I'm glad your handlers are, are letting you put on some clothes now. So your handlers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk weekend update for the opening salvo. Che for, well, I guess this has got to be four for four comes out with another pretty strong indictment of Trump. This time he is putting Trump in his place. He's reminding him that he's a public servant and that there's just certain things that you don't tweet, right? There's just certain things that you got to be a little bit beyond that if you're going to be president. And uh, I'm just going to give my hot take because it's quick. I ate it up. I can definitely get behind someone reminding a politician that they are a public servant. And uh, yeah, had me grinning. So it only takes a couple decent sketches to make me warm on weekend update, I guess. I guess, but I agree with you there, you know, really good stuff, especially from Che. Yep. What I really love about Michael Che's kind of his whole thing on weekend update is that he's, he's quite a scumbag (laughs) and it's a, a motif they revisit. Yeah. He's embracing his racism. Yeah. Yeah. And when he gets on the topic about taxes. Yeah. I, I want to cheat, man. You got to make it complicated. Yeah. So I can uh, slip through the cracks. Yeah. Like, I just love that he's willing to embrace <laughs> that being like a, a character trait. Right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I felt like this opening salvo moved along at a pretty good clip. It didn't feel like any one topic was just so beaten into the ground that I was just cringing and just waiting for them to bring in a feature. I, I really think that this was a, a good, well-balanced Jost and Che section, like their delivery and their timing and everything was, was really, really good tonight. Yeah. Before we move into the features though, I just wanted to say if anyone had watched the vintage episode, it was a uh, season 40 episode, which was very early in Jost and Che's tenure at the desk and watching the difference between season 40 Jost and Che and season 43 Jost and Che, you really have to applaud how far they've come in just relaxing, building the rapport, figuring out how to infuse a little bit of energy and just throw away the jokes a little bit so that they just feel a little bit more spontaneous and real and not quite so rehearsed. Like there's just so much about how they're able to effortlessly rattle off their material now that feels so much more fun than it did in season 40. So (laughs) I just got to give a little a, a little round of applause seeing those two episodes back to back. It it really punctuated how much better weekend update is firing now. Yeah, for sure. First feature, Eric and Donald Trump Jr. are back. They want to talk about Robert Mueller's investigation arrests. Yeah, they're still <laughs> keeping up that good quality yep. that comes with this uh recurring duo. Yeah, I haven't not enjoyed them yet. Yeah. It's amazing that it's still as strong as it is with the number of outings they've had now. Uh, It's just, they struck gold. They struck real gold. It's such a a smart duo and so many places they can take it. Uh, Yeah. I'm just super happy. Yeah. I'm happy too, man. Yeah. So this was the next thing that continued to re-engage me and make me feel like, okay, like things are really feeling good now. So at this point now I'm like, full steam ahead. I'm really, really up on the show. <laughs> it has won me back. I, I really came into it feeling shaky and it, it really did a 180. So I'm all in. And then just to like put the cherry on top, they bring out Heidi Gardner for her very first weekend update feature. She is angel, every boxer's girlfriend from every movie about boxing ever. 
I have very warm feelings about this part, but you tell me your hot take. Hottie Gardner, she's got another home run here. Mm-hmm. She's proving herself so fast, getting so many good opportunities right off the bat. Great character. I'm calling it now. It's going to be recurring. <laughs> yeah. It's something that I didn't realize that I had recognized in movies. And, <laughs> sure. you know, this is something I didn't even realize was a cliche or a trope. Mm-hmm. But having been shown it, it totally is. And <laughs> yes. that's really what was making me laugh the most. Yep. It was really easy to connect with. Like you said, it, it sold all of those tropes and just bundled them up in a very sharp way. And it, it just, it really felt good to watch. Like it felt like a very polished, well-realized character and a really strong bit. I loved every bit of it. Um, the 4S joke, I think that was just stunning. Like uh, she can't even give up on her phones. Like that, that is part of the trope, right? Like the girl that sticks by the guy, <laughs> yeah. even though it's putting her through hell and it's just crushing her emotionally to, to see him get devastated by his brutal lifestyle. Uh, she can't help but be loyal and love him through it all. And she imposes that same level of loyalty on her phone. That's genius. That is just great. And I think the audience really connected. That was a big laugh. Like everyone really loved that moment when she pulls out the forest. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was really good. And if we're keeping score, First of our newbies to get on the weekend update desk. So that ain't bad. I suppose that's true. Yeah. It took Alex Moffitt till the back half of the season to get, um, guy who just bought a boat on. So yeah, she's really, really doing some, (laughs) she's doing something right. Obviously. Uh, yeah, they're putting a lot of trust and confidence in her very early and that's, that's commendable. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a look at our last feature. We get Leslie Jones and she's there to talk about the Houston Astros world series win. And we get an inevitable sneaker upper from three of the Astros players. Did we want this? Did we need it? Was this fun? What's your thought? I liked it. Yeah. The sports stuff doesn't really speak to me as much because I don't follow it unless it's like something really huge going on in sports where it makes headlines. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's on my radar. So, you know, I'm enjoying it because I like what Leslie does. Okay. Yeah, it's an opportunity for Leslie to come out and be amusing. It seems very fitting that they would welcome on the Astros, even though it's not the home team or anything. It just, it seems right that they would want to embrace that and just have a little bit of good natured ribbing and give them a moment and a, you know, just a little attaboy there. And that's all it really was. It was just, you know, you won the world series. Great. Let's have some fun with it for 30 seconds on update. And, and, uh, for that, it felt good, but this isn't anything I'm going to be remembering in a week. So <laughs> I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. Just, yeah, I'm using fun and appropriate, but not special to me. Yeah. Fair enough. Back half of the show. First up, we had a live sketch, Lincoln high school, homeroom TV channel, HDMI threes, fresh takes with Dustin Purcell. I thought this was pretty all right. Mikey day was a highlight for sure. You just got that kid energy really <laughs> yeah. down. Well, and, uh, that ribbing between him and Alex was was really funny. You know, when he was being a little bit too rough with him. Stop it. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. Like great delivery on that. Yep. The the sketch was solid. It was, it was a fun outing. Yeah. Yep. I felt like the graphic <laughs> that they used was a little bit advanced right. for a high school production. Well, that's part of the joke, right? This is such a low end production that where on earth would they get this like CNN caliber, uh, like fly in 3d rendered, amazing sparkling intro plate. Yeah. Their channel is an input <laughs> setting. It's yes. not even a station on uh yeah. Homeroom TV channel, HDMI three, <laughs> <laughs> this to me coming out a weekend update again, just kept me thinking, okay, we're, we're really even keel here. 
still not sure what was going on at the beginning. Maybe that was me. Maybe that was the show, but we're like four or five bits that have all felt very capable at this point. And so I'm still looking forward to what they have next. Let's take a look. We get Vincent's new wife. Candace is gay famous. This one's a bit of a head scratcher for me because, well, I just, I don't spend a lot of time at gay bars to know the lingo and the culture. So do you have anything to offer this particular topic? Well, I used to work for this, uh, this marketing company in, in Toronto and they, they did a lot of the events where, they have appearances from people like personalities and stuff. Like they're paid to just show up sure. at a club. Yeah. I always thought it was so ridiculous. Right. And it seems like that's exactly what they were thinking with what they came up with here. And, uh, it felt pretty accurate as to what that culture can be like sometimes that whole club vibe. And sure. I don't know. That's really all I have to say about it. Yeah. Now we're, we're definitely the wrong people to dissect this with any, you know, great meaning. This was written by James Anderson, Julio Torres and Cecily strong. And I want to thank, um, Reddit user meme Sustential for pointing that out. Uh, so these are a few of the people at the show that have the qualifications to be commenting on gay subcultures and the lingo and the activities that would surround that and be able to flesh out these kind of characters. So I'm sure that this rang very true for, what they were trying to create. And I'm sure that the subculture that they're uh, sending up in this would probably really connect with it and identify with it. It's just because I don't have any, you know, firsthand experience to be able to, to connect with. I just, I can't really offer anything great to say whether it was funny or not. It certainly had high energy, the breaking at the end of it, everyone was having fun with that. So I get the feeling that there was a lot here to take away. If it was material that spoke to you, I just, I wish I had more to, <laughs> wish I had more to offer. Yeah. Now, 10 to 1 sketch. The guys learn a valuable lesson about addiction when their cousin CJ comes to visit. Obviously, it's a direct reference to a certain type of after school special. But also, you could argue that it's kind of referencing those um, TGIF shows. Yeah. From when we were growing up. Yeah. The very safe sitcoms. Very yeah. safe, family friendly ones with, uh, kind of stilted child acting at times. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, really easily digestible morals yep. and lessons. One of the main staples of that is the establishing shot. <laughs> yes. And that's a, a really funny device that they use here is that they keep making less and less sense <laughs> until we're looking at dinosaurs roaming the earth as the <laughs> establishing shot to the next scene. Like that was probably my favorite bit throughout this. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I really love these. I, I think they do a really good job of zeroing in on a really awkward, out-of-touch genre and then just playing it up to absurd degrees. And uh, that's really all this was. Just all of those tropes, all of the really cheesy moments <laughs> from an after-school special compacted into three minutes. Like normally, it would take 30 minutes to have this much bad television presented to you. And by them putting it into three minutes, it's just so much more punchy and so much more fun. Yeah, really enjoyed it. And Larry David, because he's, you know, old and you put a ball cap on him and it just doesn't make any sense. That's just even a little more absurd and makes it a little more fun. Yeah, it just everything about this was fun. So I really thought that was good. Yeah, totally. And that's our rundown. So let's get into moment of the night. What took it for you? Uh, I'm giving it to Kyle. Okay. With his line in the 10 to 1. <laughs> Maybe I'm paraphrasing, but he said, who's going to take care of the goldfish while we're on our bike ride. <laughs> and I just like 
I was like, what? <laughs> it, it, it was such a hilarious plot device to use because it makes <laughs> zero sense. And the fact that they went with that, actually thought it up, it just makes me laugh just at the concept. But they paid it off. That's the brilliant part, right? Like uh, a fish is zero maintenance, right? So this is the most low stakes thing, like the, the most trivial thing that could ever be of a concern to them. But this is a game changer. Like they can't go out of the house if they're not sure that this goldfish is taken care of. And so, of course, the uh, run amok alcoholism is what causes the goldfish fatality that is the turning point in the whole thing. <laughs> so yeah, just a, a brilliant setup that it's goofy in its triviality. And then it's so much more fun because of how they paid it off. You know, this poor goldfish <laughs> for my moment of the night, I'm going with Heidi Gardner's uh, reveal that she is so loyal to her cell phone that she's still using an iPhone 4s. <laughs> I think that was probably the the best single moment in a very strong weekend update part. So just because it's her first outing, first outing for any of the newbies. So there's already something very special about her being at the desk. The fact that she knocked it out of the park, like it was a really well-realized character and it had a really good joke right in the middle of it when they contend to lull, like something to really just throw the energy back in and help her bring it home. It was great. It was really, really well positioned and then well executed. So yeah, very great moment as far as I'm concerned. And they went that extra mile, used a real 4S. Yes. It was on, it was working. It had a tacky case on it. It looked worn in and used. Yeah. Screen was on too. This wasn't some throwaway device. Yeah. The great <laughs> detail. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, best sketch. I'm going to go with... Uh, those dated PSAs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was, it was just like such a relatable thing getting into my thirties and remembering the kinds of stuff we used to say when we were younger mm -hmm. and like how <laughs> we'd be crucified to say that it's so true in mixed company nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of truth in that sketch and they had a lot of fun with it. So yeah, well-realized, a lot of good observations, a very solid pick totes. I'm giving it to the Jost and Che opening salvo for weekend update. And I'm going to do that because I feel like it's been such a politically turbulent time for America uh, over the last several months that weekend update has really had trouble figuring out how to walk a line that at least for, for my sensibility feels both entertaining and weighty. And I feel like they really did it well this week. It's not a partisan thing to tell your president that, tweeting makes your country feel ridiculous. It's not the same as maybe picking a side on a really divisive political football issue. This is a very different type of critique that they were coming after Trump for. And so it was a lot easier for me to digest. And I felt like Che really sold it. And I felt like everything that they surrounded it with moved really quickly. And I just felt like there was a flow and a fun to the opening salvo of weekend update this week that felt better than any weekend update I've seen in a long time. And so for that, I got to say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to single that out as something was really working for me this week with weekend update. And uh, I liked it. Really liked it. All right. And I can get behind all that. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. MVP. I'm going to give it to Mikey day. Yeah. Okay. Why in particular? Well, I thought he had a couple of really, good moments in the whole thing. You know, his Donald Jr. was was pretty good this week. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always liked that character for how he always, like, puts Eric first, <laughs> even, like, during an interview on mm -hmm. Weekend Update. 
he'll stop to like help him with his fun dip and stuff. <laughs> sure. I just think he nails that stuff so well, and, and especially this week. And he sold that kid reporter sketch so well yeah. with his uh, characterization that he alone was making that sketch work as well as it did. Yep. He covers a lot of ground on SNL, right? He's one of the most visible and you can tell most invested in a lot of the sketches conceptually. Like you can tell that a lot of these things uh, he's helping to generate and craft. And so he's very at ease with the material. Yeah. There, there's something that's coming off very effortless and competent about what Mikey's bringing right now. And so, yeah, I can get behind that. I'm giving it to Heidi. I think it's gotta be Heidi tonight. First newbie at the weekend update desk. And that is not nothing, but beyond that, you could have mistaken her for a repertory player. Like she just, she felt like she was integrated with the show and just playing whatever they threw at her. And, uh, I think that's pretty solid and pretty good to see this early. And, uh, I want to give it a little bit of, uh, applause. Totally. Yeah. On a scale of classic, great, decent week or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? I'm predicting that we're going to have a split because <laughs> okay. I'm saying great. I bet you, <laughs> are hovering around decent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm a full great because I think I was a little bit more warmer on the first half than you were. Yeah. And we both agree that the second half was really good. Yeah. So for that reason, I'm probably a great and you're a decent. Am I right? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much my angle on it. It took me a long time to ramp up and warm up on this episode, but I feel like there was enough in the back half, which is rare. It's normally not where, the material that I usually connect with lives, but there was enough there in the back half that I think it it really helped even out the, the overall night. So yeah, right down the middle. Decent for me. Nailed it. (laughs) All right. That's a cast. (laughs) Thanks as often to Steve Finn and thanks as well to our first repertory player patron, Jonathan Jordan. If you're enjoying our podcast as much as Jonathan, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Tiffany Haddish and musical guest Taylor Swift. This has been episode number 32 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to Miley Cyrus, Alec Baldwin, Liam Hemsworth. President Trump lashed out on Twitter about the indictments from the Russia probe and the unfair news coverage, probably. And I'm sure he brought up crooked Hillary again. Look, I got to be honest, I can't read any more of this guy's tweets. I'm tired of watching the president of the United States have an emotional breakdown on social media like he's Tyrese. It's embarrassing. (laughs) Look, if you want to live tweet Morning Joe or Cupcake Wars or whatever else you watch, fine. But indictments are important and you work for us. So go put on your baggy suit, fold your hair nice, and answer all of our questions face-to-face like the public servant that you are. Okay? <laughs>